the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And a pleasant good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good to have you with us here on this Wednesday edition of Lifeline for the 11th day of October. Trying to think, are we coming up on an anniversary? Oh, that's right, the Loma Prieta earthquake anniversary of 1989 is just about a week away. Hope you're making efforts to always be earthquake prepared, particularly here in the San Francisco Bay Area, because, boy, if there's anything that life promises us, that is the unexpected is just around the corner. I was thinking earlier today on the heels of all the news coverage related to this tragic attack against Israel, that uh, for those of us that go back a few decades, um, these have been cycles, periods of peace, periods of war, the powder keg of the Palestinian-Israeli, I don't know whether we want to call that a crisis, I guess that's a good word, crisis, my goodness, seems to cycle through every so many decades, and it's tragic. The latest news today out of Israel, more than 2,300 have perished between both sides, approximately 1,300 Israelis and about 1,000 Palestinians. And uh, the launching of rockets and the tit-for-tat continues. And so I want to urge you to continue to be in prayer, particularly because there are so many, if this is strictly military targets that Hamas was hitting, you know, the military can take care of its own, but you're talking about innocent women. My goodness, the stories of children that have been set ablaze, beheaded. It just shows the great depth of the depravity of mankind. I heard somebody comment the other day, oh, mankind, you know, we're we're fundamentally good. No, we're not. <laughs> Unfortunately, Adamic sin is indicative of the notion that we are, in fact, fundamentally sinful. And this is how, sadly, so much of that plays out in another example of man's inhumanity toward man. So be in prayer for Israel and the whole scenario between Hamas, Palestinian Authority, Palestinians, and Israel. Okay, much to talk about on today's program, and I want to try to lighten up a little bit of the conversation by uh, introducing a familiar voice to our listeners. You know, if you think about today's woman, she's got her hands full, doesn't she? The changes in society, realities of economics today, the challenges of modern or maybe better put postmodern parenting means women today are asked to do much more with much less with greater expectations and often often fewer rewards and she is also very often busy trying to meet everyone else's expectations be it expectations at work with the kids with the husband at church many women today seldom have time to be her own true self let alone understand who she truly is in Christ. 
My first guest tonight has written a new book, soon to be published or available, called simply The Making of a Brave-Hearted Woman that gets to the core of not only this dilemma, but most importantly, helping women understand who they truly are in Christ. And joining me now is Pastor Don Damon. Don, great to have you back with us. It's always wonderful to be with you, Craig, and thank you so much for having me. You know, I had to say, I wondered tonight about why talk about a brave-hearted woman when Israel is going through so much and we are praying for the peace of Israel, praying for those beautiful people. Um, And then I thought about Esther, you know, Mm. that for such a time as this, Esther said, I will, if I die, I die, but I will speak up. I think that's the heart of the brave-hearted woman that I'm, I'm referring to tonight anyway. Tell me the um, sort of the source of this book. And, and by that, I mean, I've got to imagine your years involved in ministry and in counseling and hearing stories and sharing stories and and trying to help women work through so many of these challenges, many that I referred to a moment ago. I mean, I, I know oftentimes our grandmothers like to talk about how difficult they had it having to go and fetch water and cooking dinner over a coal stove and washing clothes over a washboard by hand. And, and certainly they had pretty rough in a lot of ways. And yet times have changed, particularly in terms of the amount of expectations that are placed on women. And and so often modern women today, as I alluded to in my opening remarks, barely have enough time for themselves, let alone enough time to really understand who they are in the fullness of Christ. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your sensitivity towards women. You know, it's true. We, uh, as midlife women, and that's like ages from 40 to 65, maybe even 70, you know, we say midlife, but that second half, best half of life, um, we really don't often think about the existential crisis or the midlife crisis uh, that women have. We know that men have that, but women have it in a tremendous way. And they're also known as the sandwich generation because they're still caring for children, perhaps the boomerang generation. They're taking care of grandchildren, but they're also taking care of their parents, elderly parents. And just when they thought it could be about them and that maybe they could reconnect or reimagine dreams of yesteryear and things that they always thought they wanted to do. Once again, responsibility pulls them to be caretakers. So there's a lot of women that say, I'm not really confused about what life is all about. I know there's God, but I'm confused about my life. Is this all there is? I feel lost. I have stress. I'm struggling with depression. There's a loss of productivity for me and I'm experiencing low energy levels and I don't have the family around me like I used to. So it's a reality that there is a high level of stress. We call it the um, allostatic load of stress that are on women in midlife. Numerous layers of responsibility that they carry. 
once again, they're putting themselves last. Boy, and, and let me just, uh, just because I can, let me let me further complicate that scenario, uh, Dawn, because so often women will say, yeah, I get that, and the whole challenge of being the sandwich generation, that I'm, you know, still raising kids, and now mom and dad need some help, and uh, maybe mm-hmm. dad has passed away, and mom comes to live with us, or worse yet, somebody gets a diagnosis of Alzheimer's, and now you're caring for, you know, children in their in their preteens and and children that are in their 80s and dealing with alzheimer's and i mean that lovingly since i have a, I have a parent that's in the middle of that right now and then you get to the point where okay mom and dad have gone on to their reward the kids have grown up they've gotten married you think okay now it's finally a little bit of me time i can get involved in bible study the way i've always dreamt i can get involved in ministry i can have more time with my spouse mm-hmm. with things that i really want to do Bingo, surprise, boomerang kids. The happily married son or daughter now has run into some marital problems and picks up the phone one day and dawn and says, Mom, I just can't stand it anymore. I got to come home. And suddenly they come back again. And all of that time that you thought was now finally going to be yours, you know, you can't tell them no, but it sure can be challenging when you're trying to finally get to the bottom of who am I really and and how do I go about figuring out my place in the world and you know that notion of just constantly being in in caring and giving mode I imagine for a lot of women that they do it faithfully and dutifully but it's got to be awfully tiring Absolutely. And I think, hello, have you just been reading my mail? Do you have a a secret camera in my house? (laughs) We hacked your email. No, no, no. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's my experience right now, Craig. And it's heartbreaking. My son and and his wife, it seems as though their marriage is going to be coming to an end. He's been living with us for six months. It's been devastating. And I'm so sad. And I feel like inside, like, I want to give everything up just to help you. And I know that's the wrong answer. I know that I need to let him figure this out. And I I use a little metaphor of the butterfly, but he's in a situation where, you know, you feel like you're everything's closing you in, but you got to find your strength. You got to dig down deep and find your grit. My son, I can't help you totally on this. But I also need to be true to the calling of God in my life. And women, we struggle thinking that's selfish. Right. But it's not so. Well, I would imagine. And, and, and I want to set up a question I want to have you answer when we come back from a brief time out here. Uh, and, and that is simply this, that I bet there are some eavesdropping on our conversation saying, oh, you've been reading my email, too, <laughs> because I'm exactly there. But here's what's different from me. I'm angry. I resent this. You know, I know my parents raised me, and then when time came and they needed our help, we were there for them. And I had sisters and brothers that could have helped out, but they didn't really. So I did the dutiful thing because I'm the middle child or whatever the case might be. And I raised my kids. I dealt everything from, you know, bloody noses to broken bones to taking them to piano lessons and soccer practice and seeing them across the stage and getting them through, you know, their first, uh, you know, existential crisis with a boyfriend or girlfriend they finally got got married and now all of a sudden I'm looking forward to finally having it be my time, our time, myself and my spouse. And I'm angry about the fact that this is being dumped on me and I don't know I feel as if part of me says I've got to do this because this is who I am and this is who God called me to be and part of me says I just like to 
answer the door by saying, I'd love to help, but sorry, wrong number, and hang up the phone or close the door. Am I am I wrong for thinking that? I mean, I just, I feel as if I'm wronging God for even having those thoughts. We're going to pause on that point. We're going to give Dawn a good chance to really think of a great answer, and I bet she's got one. Dawn Damon with us tonight. She has a new book called The Making of a Bravehearted Woman, published by Bold Vision Books, and um, just soon to be released, good stuff. We're going to get back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. We're talking about a new book soon to be released just at the leading edge of uh, November called The Making of a Bravehearted Woman. It's released by Bold Vision Books. With us is author and longtime friend of the program, Don Damon. Don, so what about that? Women who say, you know, I thought finally this was going to be my time. And here I am yet once again, and I feel so guilty uh, over my deep-seated desire to say no. And then part of me over the guilt feels angry that I've been put in this position. Yes. So two words, brave boundaries. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And that's why I think it really requires bravery for women in midlife especially to stand up and say it is my time to become the leading lady of my life story i have been a supporting actress for many years i love you but i've got to be obedient to what god has called me to and then the responsibility goes on women do you have a vision midlife woman do you know what your purpose is do you need to reconnect with what God has really put in your heart to do. Because there's a book uh, was written by Bronnie Ware and it said the five regrets of the dying. And the number one regret of people, she was a hospice nurse, not their last words, but their last regrets as they were speaking to her. And they said, I wish I had been true to who I was really meant to be. I, I became a yes person. I was a people pleaser. But inside of me, there was still something that I needed to do and wanted to do. And I never gave it wings. I never mm. soared. I never jumped off the cliff and said, and it's, again, it's not selfish. And that's, I feel like that's what we battle. We battle this, like you said, guilt or this feeling that this, I'm thinking it's all about me. No, it's not all about you, but what about the story of the stewards in the New Testament where Jesus, you know, the pictures, I gave you talents and you were to invest them. Have you used what God gave you? Have you invested your life into the advancement of the kingdom and your purpose and what God's called you to? So I really think boundaries are important and being brave to say, I'm going to step in to the role of being the leading lady of my life, and I'm going to, and I'm going to follow the spirit of God. And, and this is love you. This is also with the but, core. Pardon the interruption. This is also with the core, yeah. Dawn, about being obedient to who to to God and who He has called you to be. And I pose that question because you know, oftentimes, particularly in a, a, a strongly 
patriotic society, and 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 we yes. see that you know exemplary to a fault sometimes within Christendom. There's the sense, well, wait a minute though. We've already outlined who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do. How dare you have thoughts that might suggest <laughs> God has called you to be somebody else or do something else? Or can't you just be satisfied in being a mother alone? After all, isn't that the greatest blessing that God could bestow on anyone? I know it. And, you know, I have to think about that. When God was forming us in our mother's womb and he saw that we were female and he created us to be female, he gave us gifts and his talents and of all the things that he could say. Did he say, and you, my daughter, will be the best mother and the best wife ever. But to the man, he said, and you will be a businessman and you will be creative and you will be a leader and you will be a voice. But for us, so I, I and forgive me if that sounds um I always worry about the religious spirit to just say, I know that's very important, but it is a season and it's not the totality of who I am. God gave me creativity. He called me a writer and an author and a poet and a voice and a communicator and it burns within me like you know the prophet said it's like fire shut up in my bones like I would ache if I couldn't do what God put inside of me and I put it aside and put it aside and put it aside and finally when my kids all got in school I was like God I this is I'm going to follow you yes I became a pastor yes I preached the word I devoured the Bible I learned because I could not deny that burning inside of me. So I know that that it is uh, patriarchal. I know it is our culture. And I know it's very unpopular sometimes to say this, but I believe life is seasons. And Psalm 1 said, blessed are those, you know, that are planted by rivers of living water, and but their, their leaf will not wither. They will flourish in every season. So guess what? seeds of promise and purpose and greatness inside of us for this season of life. Be brave, my sister, and step into your identity and your purpose. And this is really, I guess, in many respects, not not putting God in a box. In other words, again, taking nothing away from the role that women play in being wives and being mothers. And I mean, uh, wow, one of the most important jobs on planet Earth. So that's not to remove one iota from that. But I think what it is to suggest right. is that let's not limit it to just that, because this is really God's vision right. for a woman. This is not a woman pursuing her own selfish agenda. This is about seeking God's desire and direction for your life and then following that path. I've, I've often thought, um, been thinking about Christmas lately since the holidays are going to be here soon. Mm-hmm. What, yes. you know, uh, uh, one group of people that we don't really hear much said about, the, the scriptures are largely kind of quiet on this topic. And imagine what Mary's parents must have said. Oh, You're going off with who? Wait, that guy's just, uh-huh. he, he, that guy, he's not, he doesn't, he doesn't even own a construction company. And, and, and my goodness, you're going to go traipsing off and, and you're, you're pregnant. What happens with this baby? If something happens along the way, you're heading back over there to go get, be part of the census. And he, this guy's not such a bum. He doesn't even have enough money to buy you a decent hotel room. Imagine. And yet she had to be obedient mm-hmm. to what she knew yeah. God had called her to do. And 
You're so right. I've never thought of it quite like that. Well done. But God visited her, didn't he? The angel visited her. He deposited that in her. I mean, physically, literally, and also spiritually and emotionally. And that's the same thing that happens in every follower of Christ. There's a visitation at some point in your spirit, whether it's through reading the Word of God or this impression or the Spirit of God speaking to you, and there's a deposit within you. And imagine if the answer is, yes, you're a man, you get to do it. No, you can't. You're a woman. And so sorry about that. Um, I don't believe God would do that. In fact, we know when Jesus said about Martha and Mary, he looked at Martha and he said, Mary has chosen the better part. It's not going to be taken away from her. Martha thought she was ridiculous. Women can't learn. You're not a rabbi in, in training. You can't sit at his feet like all these students. What are you doing? Get yourself together. And Jesus looked at Martha and said, stop it. She knows what she's doing. And um, so, yeah, we're going to have to be brave to live this vision. And we have to be brave to even dream, to even start saying, you know, I believe God has called me to do this. And he's got more for me than this. And um, lastly, I just want to say this too, Craig, you know, I can't tell you how important it is that we always talk about the role of moms and the most important calling and all that. But I would also say the most important calling for a man is to be a dad, to be a uh, Absolutely, absolutely. Don't you agree? But both, both roles are equally important. And, you know, yeah. sometimes we, we, we emphasize mom's role because in many respects she is the carrier of life and, and, and the yeah. one that does the nurturing and the protection. But the father is the provider. Um, he is the one that is the, the ultimate protector. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think that, that men need to understand, hey, th- this role is, yeah. is yeah. critically important from both perspectives, both mom and dad. Yes. And uh, I know my life was... Um, violently disrupted because of the lack of of that father love and being a champion for me and so I'm often very aware of how important like even talking to my son who's going through a challenge right now you stay as a champion for your children absolutely Absolutely, and, and even under the worst set of circumstances, you know, I'm 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 proud to say when my folks went through their difficult uh, period of time, when I was just a little whippersnapper, uh, and without to get into details, because a we don't have time, b it's not important. But yeah. my father, my father always spoke in the highest regard of my mother, and yeah. though there might have been all kinds of stories he could sell for, you know, the old adage about you know two two sides to every story, he. Yeah. He never spoke a word um, because he, he he valued that role of mother. And even though my mom made mistakes, I suppose my dad, too, but my father would never speak of it. He was always honorable through every aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, and I've also counseled yeah. friends of mine. You know what? Your, your wife can be doing all kinds of crazy things, but in front of your kids, you always need to take the position. She is always your mother. 
important stuff. Amen. Well, wow, we have barely begun to peel back the layers on this onion. I feel as if we just barely picked it out of the out of the bag from the grocery store and washed it off, let alone to start to peel back any of it. So we're going to have to do this again and uh, and for a longer period of time. I don't know who keeps booking you for just a half hour, but I think you need I to file know. file a complaint, would you? I, I would get to the bottom of that immediately, and we need to file a complaint. <laughs> She's probably listening right now. Don yeah. Damon, always a delight. The new book is called The Making of a Bravehearted Woman. It will be out in early November, and we're going to begin to unpack more of the great details inside the pages of this wonderful book to help women everywhere be all that God has called them and empowered them to be. The Making of a Bravehearted Woman, our thanks again to author Don Damon for being with us. 5.30 from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, as you're about to learn, we didn't set up a theme for today, but uh, if I had to name it, it would be um, Real Talk and uh, Real Frank. So with that thought in mind, if you've got kids uh, lingering about that uh, are under minority age, you might want to keep them busy in another room, get them to go do something else, as we're going to have more Frank discussion with our next guest. Been around for a day or two or three or four, you might have recollections of the so-called sexual revolution of the 1960s and 70s that reordered everything from relationships to behavior and and thoughts on the broader subject of of sexuality and at least some people think oh that's dirty well no that's actually created by very god himself it wasn't for it i wouldn't be here talking to you and you wouldn't be sitting there listening to me (laughs) listening to me but the change in attitudes that was brought about by the so-called sexual revolution um, has created some real big challenges. And, and, and part of the, the, the irony, certainly I think from a Christian or biblical perspective, is that there has long been held, and I want to be clear that this is biblical and it is correct, but it's not as easy as it seems. You know, the old adage, and they did this, for example, in the 1980s um, in dealing with drug abuse by telling people, well, just say no. Well, if that just say no campaign were that successful, we wouldn't be dealing with rampant drug abuse in America today the way we are. And so certainly abstinence before marriage is biblical. But is the just wait or just say no message Practical, And you think, Craig, what are you saying? Well, let's kind of unfold this as we welcome into the conversation Dr. Carol Tanksley. Dr. Tanksley is the author of a book soon to be released called Sexpectations, Reframing Your Good and Not-So-Good Stories About God, Love, and Relationships. Dr. Tanksley is a board-certified OBGYN, also a counselor and therapist, and is an ordained minister as well. And Dr. Tanksley, thanks so much for spending some time with us. What about this? I mean, it seemed at least in the ads at the time to be good advice when it came to the issue of illicit drug use, just say no. And we've certainly heard that when it comes to the topic of premarital sex outside the bonds of marriage, just say no. And yet, as we know, people really struggle with that. Tell me why. Well, Craig, it's a great honor to be on with you. Just say no is right. As you were saying, this is, um, it's biblical, it's right. And yet, I know there are many of our listeners who that hasn't been an adequate explanation for their story. Craig, behaviors have consequences. They are really, really important. 
But when all of our focus is on behaviors, we miss the matters of the heart. And especially when it comes to sexuality, a lot more than behavior. I think if any of our listeners felt that it was only about behavior, well, um, think about it for a minute. That just doesn't really address what we know in our hearts is wrong. Sex is not just sex for human beings. There is a bigger story at play. You alluded to the fact that this was God's idea. You know, it, it, it truly was. But we need to understand the whole picture of why it's God's idea and what the story God wants us to hear when it comes to our sexuality, when it comes to marriage, frankly, when it comes to singleness as well. So as important as just say no before marriage is, going from no to yes on one particular day, well, a lot of people, and especially women, have found that that is really, really hard. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've I've had conversations with women who have been frank in saying, uh, you know, I was raised in a conservative household. I was raised to believe, and I fully embraced the idea of saving myself until marriage, in which I was. It wasn't always easy, but I succeeded at doing so. And the things that I had to do along the way in order to kind of uh, hold that that position firm um, actually became huge enemies of mine when the wedding night arrived. And suddenly there was this 180 pivot from a lifetime from puberty onward of just saying no to suddenly being in a position where I I had an opportunity to say yes. And all of the sort of self-talk that had gone on down (laughs) through the years suddenly became my biggest enemy. And I guess it goes to the heart of what you alluded to a moment ago, Doctor, and that is the notion that we we, we tend to oversimplify this. We think it's just about um, body parts. It's about organs. And it is. But aren't we leaving out perhaps the biggest organ, the heart, and failing to recognize that, yes, sex is a physical thing, but it's also an emotional and a spiritual thing? God didn't intend it to be just physical. We often refer to Genesis 2.25, the man and his wife were naked, unclothed, and they felt no shame. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. But in the original Hebrew, the sense is that not only were there no coverings over their bodies, but there were no coverings over their mind and heart and soul, too. So this experience of intimacy wasn't only about two bodies coming together it was about two whole human beings seeing and being seen knowing and being known and i think many of our listeners will have experienced sex when it's just body parts is that really satisfying Mm. is that really what our hearts desire and i think every woman certainly knows that frankly i think men know that too And is it any wonder when we oftentimes take it so far out of context by treating it as if it's singularly a physical act and we we sort of train ourselves to disconnect the other aspects that when the time comes in the appropriateness of marriage, uh, it's difficult to engage in that complete surrender and and we've almost sort of trained ourselves, as I alluded to a moment ago, to the notion that the physical part is somehow the dirty part. And so as a result, 
how many women find themselves, and men too, I suppose, that say, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to engage this, or I know I'm supposed to enjoy this time with my spouse, but frankly, it's a it's a job. Uh, it's something that I would rather avoid. And it isn't that there's necessarily anything wrong with you. I think it's just the kind of the way that which we've we've programmed our minds and our hearts to think about this in a very myopic fashion when when it is extremely complicated. And sadly, oftentimes it's been also distorted by the enemy. Oh, in so many ways, certainly our sexualized culture, I want to say our pornified culture has objectified sex to just being about my own experience but that distorts what this is really all about and it and it makes the experience of sex not about intimacy in marriage god designed sex and intimacy and covenant to all be together but the enemy has done a really terrible as far as consequences job at separating those things I think we all know there is plenty of sex going on with no intimacy and plenty going on uh, whether or not it's within covenant marriage there is also intimacy without sex now I know that can be kind of a a challenging thing for people's minds to go around, you know, to get around. But what God intended in the Garden of Eden to whole people, man and woman, body, mind and soul coming together. We can't leave any of those parts out. Boy, uh, when and- we when we do the the distorted messages create a lot of harm. And, and those messages come from. The families we grew up in, we learn things about sex as well as about relationships and intimacy and feelings and conflict and all of that before we knew we were learning it. And then there's the cultural messages. There's also the messages in church. And as well-meaning as those church messages have been, I believe too often they're incomplete. Yeah, they, they, it, they tend to be short-sighted and, and, and not being able to present the full picture. Is it any wonder that this becomes a challenge on, on, on one end from a abstinence viewpoint and then problematic on the other end once the prohibitions, quote-unquote, have been removed within the confines of marriage? We just don't know what to do. You're visiting today with Dr. Carol Tanksley. Dr. Tanksley has got a new book coming out called Sexpectations, Reframing Your Good and Not-So-Good Stories About God, Love, and Relationships, soon to be... Pardon me, all choked up tonight. Soon to be released by Baker Books. We're going to get to more of the conversation as Lifeline continues in a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're back with Dr. Carol Tanksley, the new book soon to be released called Sexpectations, Reframing Your Good and Not-So-Good Stories About God, Love, and Relationships. I would imagine, Doctor, that another aspect of this that really complicates matters of of the heart on the topic of, of, of intimacy is when Madison Avenue figured out that sex sells, and then, of course, the 
folks running the porn industry figured out they can take pictures of other people and make all kinds of money with that. And, 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 and then you add to that those who learn that sex can be used as a very effective tool of control or manipulation. I mean, talk about multiple ways in which this gift from God has been horrifically mutilated and manipulated out of his perfect will. I suppose at a lot of levels, no wonder people just don't know what to do and don't know how to handle it. How could we know any different when we've never been taught any different? And the the, the sexualized, pornified culture gives such distorted messages. You, you alluded to this, but Madison Avenue and uh, Hollywood and it, the porn industry make it all about my own gratification. It's all incredibly selfish. It divorces sex from the work of relationship. We, we were talking earlier about going from no to yes on the wedding night, and a lot of people, especially women, struggle with that. Well, the developing of a healthy sex life between husband and wife in marriage takes time. Um, the, the porn industry makes people think, well, it should just happen. Then you add to that the message that some have heard in church that you do things right and it should just happen. So this is like supposed to be, you know, magic and they lived happily ever after. Most people, it's not happily ever after. Most people, it takes work to develop that relationship. And porn makes it just seem like it's all about me being gratified. And that doesn't only happen if a woman has seen porn, which one third of Christian women admit to struggling with porn. But let's say a Christian woman has not struggled with porn. She gets married to a a Christian gentleman, two-thirds of who have struggled with porn, if he has developed brain pathways that give him the message, sex is supposed to be about me feeling good, it's going to be a struggle to engage with his wife in that way. And she has gotten the message, even if she hasn't seen it herself, that I have to look a certain way, I have to act a certain way, this is what men want. So if I want to connect sexually with my husband, this is what I have to do. Well, really? So it creates so much distortions and makes it all about instant gratification rather than what God intended sex in marriage to be, which is about intimacy and connection and fulfillment and, of course, procreation. But the intimacy part, we have not done well enough in understanding. Boy, and when you and when you talk about unrealistic, distorted expectations, let me put this in. <clears throat> pardon me, in terms that the guys in the audience can maybe better relate to. So, you've always been a big baseball fan. Maybe you're part of a weekend softball team, which a bunch of guys from the neighborhood or from work, and so you like to go to the the local ball field and knock the ball around for a while. Can you imagine if suddenly the expectations of those family members watching in the stands and everybody else on the field wanted to put you in a Barry Bonds or a, a Mickey Mantle or a Babe Ruth kind of position? And you thought, my goodness, I can't hit multiple home runs in one game. I'm lucky if I can hit the ball, let alone out of the park. The kind of stress that it would cause and, and what it would do to you emotionally and mentally would be horrific. 
And yet it's almost the same equivalency that men get engaged in this kind of behavior. And then when the relationship, uh, you know, after marriage comes to the point, you, you still have these ideas of, of, of a level of expectation. Is it any wonder that you say, well, my wife disappoints? Well, yeah, as much as you would disappoint in the uh, weekend softball group, uh, you know, that you, you can't compete either because the, the disconnect between expectations and reality is so wide. Craig, I can't tell you how many people, both men and women, who believe that getting married will cure their porn problem, it doesn't. Porn sex and married sex are not the same. And yet good Christian people become depressed when porn doesn't when marriage doesn't cure their porn problem we've got to get a level deeper and deal with these matters of the heart whether married or unmarried and i believe that is what god would call each of us to to deal with the need for intimacy that he built within us that is not only relegated to marriage all people married or single need intimacy it's something we need to contend with and help others in the body of christ contend with i'm curious from your perspective dr tanksley is this more than just some people say well you you just need to learn uh, you know and and kind of grow uh, when it comes to your new marriage relationship but but as you're talking about the impacts of for example a, a lifetime of of porn consumption i'm wondering if for a lot of people both both men and women, it's just not a matter of, of adding new habits. You almost have to be deprogrammed. I mean, it's almost like you were a part of a, a cult for years. Is that an accurate statement? Porn creates pathways in the brain. It creates deep hooks in the brain. And we know neurobiologically a lot of how that happens. Reprogramming the brain takes intention and time and connection with other people. That doesn't happen in a moment. And even if somebody... Um, realizes that their okay, their porn use needs to stop. They repent. They come to Jesus and they say, you know, cleanse me, help me live a new life. But those pathways are still in the brain. Repentance and coming to Jesus doesn't automatically build new pathways. We have to help people build those new pathways in the brain so that when an uncomfortable feeling comes, when a sexual desire comes, when some of those old pictures that are cataloged in the brain come up, the brain has a new direction to go. Uh, We can learn how to take our brain in a different direction. Let me ask you this question, doctor, and I, I know my engineer is going to look at me and say, you're asking that question and it's a minute before six. How dare you? <laughs> but I want to have you in, in, in maybe the brief if words touch upon something here, that this is also not a compl- complicated by attitudes and and oftentimes the disconnection at the emotional or spiritual level, but also differing attitudes. For example, for the longest time, I've always believed, particularly when, when, when we're younger people, that um, boys tend to give love to get sex and girls tend to give sex to get love. Is that true? And if so, does does that differing approach between the two sexes further complicate this? It does somewhat. And yet I would contend that both men and women at a deeper level need intimacy. Jesus, when he was here on earth, needed intimacy. And that can help us see the difference between intimacy and sex and also how they can come together as God intended in marriage. 
Wow, we've just begun to uh, touch the surface of this important topic. And uh, Dr. Tanksley, I'd love to have you back on for a uh, elongated conversation because clearly we don't do this topic justice. But a-, a half hour, we're just getting started. Dr. Carol Tanksley is the author of a new book soon to be released called Sexpectations Reframing Your Good and Not So Good Stories About God, Love, and Relationships. It'll soon be released by Baker Books. And we're going to get Dr. Tinksley back on again here uh, because Dr. Tinksley has got so much good stuff to talk about. And frankly, it's a conversation that we as the church need to be having that we've either been afraid to have or, frankly, just don't know how to have. Our thanks to Dr. Carol Tanksley for being with us again. The book title, Sexpectations, Reframing Your Good and Not-So-Good Stories About God, Love, and Relationships. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.